Welcome to the New Day Community Church Sermon Podcast. We hope you're encouraged by this message from the Vandalia, Michigan campus. For more info, look us up at newdaycommunity.org. Awesome. It's so good to be here uh, again with you guys continuing our series on the, the journey to Easter. And today we are going to be talking about the importance of receiving and how receiving is really a a vitally important part of the Christian life. So we're going to talk about receiving today. And one of the the best gifts that I ever got, and I've gotten a bunch of really great gifts before, uh, one of the greatest gifts that I ever received was this guitar right here. It was probably, oops, I'm unplugging it now. It was probably 15, maybe 18 years ago that uh, I was a worship leader at New Day Nichols, and I didn't have my own guitar. I, had, uh, bar- I was borrowing somebody's guitar every time that I would go to practice on Thursdays or every time I led worship, and somebody gave me this guitar. Hmm. And I still have no idea who that was. Cameron, was it you? It was not me. Okay. Yeah, and so somebody gave me this guitar, and it was such an amazing blessing. This is a Taylor 714. It is an incredibly nice guitar. Last year, um, I came in, and I found there's this huge crack right across the, the soundboard of it, and I took it into the, the guitar fixer guy, and he was like, oh, man, that guitar is so beautiful. We can fix it. And so he fixed it. It's perfect. And it's just been an amazing blessing. But when I received this guitar, it was beyond anything that I could afford myself. Right? I had a young family. We had two babies at the time. Um, I was selling siding. Amber was a stay-at-home mom, and there was no way that I could afford an instrument this nice. And so it was just an absolute blessing. But in order to receive this blessing, okay, I couldn't just look at it in its case, right? I couldn't just go, oh, I'm really grateful that somebody gave me that guitar and then continued borrowing somebody else's instrument, right? What I did to really receive this was to pick it up so that I could play it. Right? And the, the gift giver, whoever that was, I imagine that they were part of the church, they would have been offended right? if I just took that guitar and was like, oh, it's pretty nice, left it in its case in the closet. And so in, as we want to talk about, you have to receive, right? you have to actually take it up, you have to actually participate with the gift in order to actually receive it. And so that's what we're going to talk about today. And I just have a quick question. I just want to know, have you guys ever received a, a gift but never actually received it? That well, seems like a weird thing. Like, has anybody ever gotten a, a gift on their birthday and just like, I just like that gift the way it is? You're all wrapped up. Well, this last Christmas, I think it was around Christmas, Amber and I were on our way to a Christmas party or, or something. We were listening to the radio and we heard this story of, um, of a man. His name was Jack from Edmonton, uh, Canada, wherever Edmonton, Canada is. I don't know. And he had this, his very first serious girlfriend and her name was, was Vicky. And this was their very first Christmas together. And Vicky came over and gave him this wrapped gift. But on the very same day, she broke up with him. And he had this gift, and he vowed never to open that gift. And there it is. 
There is Jack's gift. He's had this for 47 years. Oh, my word. And every Christmas, he would take it out, and he would put it under his Christmas tree. And he would pick it up, and then after Christmas, put it back in the closet. And a couple years ago, apparently, his wife said, I'm done with this. (laughs) We're not putting that thing under the Christmas tree anymore. And so now he just takes it out of the closet, looks at it, and puts it back in the closet. Like, that is mind-boggling. Nobody does that, right? Like, what could be in there? Fruitcake. It could be a fruitcake. It could be, maybe it's, I don't know, maybe it's something that could be really valuable or really exciting. I don't know what it is. Maybe it's a ZZ Top cassette. I don't know. That's just what, I don't know why I thought that, but we don't, this doesn't give us a lot of perspective and size, so who knows. But the point, what's the point, Mark? The point is that he received the gift, but he's never really received the gift. It just is there in his closet, unopened. And so we're going to to look today at a passage of Scripture in Matthew chapter 26 where Jesus talks about uh, this invitation to receive his gift. And at the end of the service, we're going to be taking communion together. And so turn with me, if you will, to Matthew chapter 26, verses 26 to 29. And this scene actually chronologically takes place right before what we talked about last week. If you remember last week, we talked about Jesus and the disciples in the Garden of Gethsemane, and he uh, asked them to stay up and pray with him, and they fell asleep. And Jesus goes off and prays to the Father, not my will, but your will be done, right before he is betrayed by Judas. And so this takes place right before that. This is, they are celebrating the Passover meal together. This Passover meal was a, a yearly celebration for the Jewish people that they would remember the great deliverance of God out of delivering the Israelites out of Egypt. Right? And so they were celebrating this, and this was supposed to be exactly that, a, a celebration. But when we read the, the, the text here in Matthew, things aren't quite as celebratory as maybe we would expect them to be. Jesus, up to this point, had told his disciples three times in the Gospel of Matthew that I am going to Jerusalem, I'm going to be handed over to the leadership there, and I'm going to be killed. And they're like, what are you talking about? And now they're in Jerusalem, so they would know, man, the time is probably near. And so maybe there's this kind of awkward tension as the 12, the 13 of them sat around this table. And then just before the passage that we're reading today, Jesus says, hey, guys, one of you is going to betray me. What? What are you talking about, Jesus? How could one of us betray you? We have been with you for three years. We have seen you heal. We have, see, we have heard you teach. We, we believe that you are the Messiah. We don't understand all your talk about death, but one of us is going to betray you. That's crazy. And Judas says, certainly you don't, you don't mean me. And Jesus says, you've said it. And so Judas, at this point, has already uh, met with the, the Jewish leaders to come up with a time. He's received money to betray Jesus. And we know he's on his way to the cross. And he says this. While they're eating, Jesus took bread 
And when he had given thanks, he broke it and gave it to his disciples, saying, Take and eat, this is my body. Then he took a cup, and when he had given thanks, he gave it to them, saying, Drink from it, all of you. This is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. I tell you, I will not drink from this fruit of the vine from now on until that day when I drink it new with you in my Father's kingdom. Amen. The grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of the Lord abides forever. It's a reform thing. I'm adding liturgy. Don't tell Cameron. Uh, So... So this is the, the, the word of the Lord, and what we're going to do today is we're just going to go through these four verses, and I want to look at what the, the bread meant, want to look at what the, the wine meant, and then look at one promise that we as believers get to receive because of receiving the bread and the wine. Okay? So first, Jesus says, or the, the gospel writer says while they're eating, Jesus took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it, and gave it to his disciples, saying, Take and eat, this is my body. So Jesus took bread. This would have been incredibly common at every meal for the, the, everybody in, in the, the Middle East there. And so Jesus picks up this bread to use as an illustration. He says, This is my body. And he takes the bread and he breaks it. And often we can come to the, the Bible or to some of the stories in, in the Gospels and go, man, I just don't understand this. What, you know, maybe, is there something that I'm missing? Right? But Jesus wants this to be very, very clear. And so he gives them this simple picture with this simple, common, familiar item. This bread is my body. And he broke it. Right, and this symbolized how Jesus was going to die. His body was going to be violated. It was going to be broken on the cross. And this brokenness really allowed him to distribute it to the disciples. Right? He gave a piece to, to all the disciples. And when I'm reading this, I think, and I, I think that the, the disciples would have been reminded as well of that story. Remember months back when we were out in, in the field and, that, and Jesus took the, the bread and, and the fish from that small boy. And he, he blessed this one boy's lunch and he broke it and distributed it to everybody there. 5,000 people. Probably more. That was 5,000 men. There's probably women and children there. And so Jesus takes this bread and multiplies it. And then he stands in front of them and says, this bread is my body. It is going to be broken. Broken so that it can be distributed to all. To, it can be received by the many. And so when we take this bread of communion, often we'll, we'll take it in these kind of pre-cut pieces, right? And it looks very orderly and neat. And that's fine. Oops, maybe I'll take the one that I touched and I'll put it right here. Sorry. I'll bring it over here. I'll eat this one. And, uh, and it looks very orderly and neat, but I think there's something kind of visual about picturing this broken bread. Being torn, absolutely. And it reminds us of of two things. The first, that that this was Jesus' body. This represents Jesus' body, which was violently murdered on the cross. 
And so maybe when you take communion, just rip it yourself. <laughs> oh, yeah, that's right. Because we don't want to take it mindlessly, without thinking, right. just going through the motions. Yes. Right? We want to take it and remember. That's what Jesus kind of created this, this rite or this uh, ordinance or whatever you want to call it, this celebration, to do, do this in remembrance of me, he says in another passage. And, Luke sa- and Paul says in 1 Corinthians, do this in remembrance of me. So we break the bread remembering that Jesus was broken on the cross. And the other thing that I think about when I think about the breaking of the bread and how Jesus handed it out to the, the disciples and that picture of how he handed the, the bread out to the, the people, of the feeding of the 5,000, is this idea that when we partake of our piece of bread, right, it is, it's coming from one loaf. It's coming from Jesus. We are partaking of Jesus. Yep. And not just us. Yeah. Right? It's not just about us. And I try to remember while taking communion that often in our Western culture we think about our personal relationship with God and, and how our, the personal disciplines draw us close to God. And that is so incredibly important. And we want to and we need to make a personal decision to follow Jesus. But when we take communion, we do it in the community. And we are all one because we are partaking of the one loaf, partaking of the one body. And there's a, a, a New Testament scholar by the name of Richard France, and he was talking about this passage, and he said this. He said, from now on, this community will be constituted. And I had to Google that to make sure I knew what it meant. It means being established or created. Uh, so from now on, this community will be created by the sacrifice of Jesus and will consist of those who, by eating and drinking, are identified with the benefits of his sacrificial death. And so we talked a lot about this in week one when we talked about uh, engaging the importance of doing life in community, how God, through Jesus, created a a new community where he would be glorified and where he could dwell. Right? And so we are that community, and we are brought into it through the eating and the drinking of Jesus' body and Jesus' blood. He established his new community through his sacrificial death, and we partake of that. So what else does our uh, gospel writer say? He says, um, Jesus tells them to take and eat. And these are, in the, in the grammar, are both imperatives. And so an imperative, you know, parents are familiar with these. We say, don't go in the street. Don't touch the hot stove. Eat your peas. Right? These are imperatives. These are commands that we are telling them. And so Jesus here is commanding his disciples, take this and eat. This is my body. But he's also giving them an invitation. This is an invitation to take on Jesus' body. It's a command because, as, as we know through the, the gospel story, that there is no other way to eternal life except by taking the body and the blood of Jesus. And so I don't want it to sound like we are saved by eating the, the bread and drinking the wine. This is symbolic of what we do with our entire lives 
As Christ followers, we participate with Jesus. We choose him. We submit ourselves to him. We, uh, we swear our allegiance to him alone. And this meal that we eat, this uh, communion that we take together, is just a replaying of that story to remind us of this decision that we've made and to, to remind us of this community that we have been brought into. And so Jesus says there's no other way. In the Gospel of John, he says, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink of his blood, you have no life in you. Mm. So it's a command and that there is no other way Mm -hmm. but through Jesus. But it is also an invitation because Jesus will never twist our arms. He's never going to force us to submit to him. He's never going to force us to swear our allegiance to him. But we have been invited in because Jesus, when we were still his enemies, when humanity was shaking its fist at at God saying, we don't want to have anything to do with you. We want to do it our way. God loved humanity. God loved me. God loved each one of you and said, I love them so much, I'm going to send Jesus to die. Mm-hmm. And because of Jesus' vicarious death, uh, his, um, his death in place of us, right, we have been invited in to receive the, the benefits of that, the, that we have been invited in to enter into eternal life. And so that is the invitation. And so the question for us today is, will we receive the bread? Will we receive this invitation? Will we submit to this command that God has given us, that there is no other way except through Jesus? Or are we going to continue saying, no, Jesus, I'm going to do it my way? Do, are we going to continue in... And this is not, uh, this, this is not, I, I'm not saying that this is you, but it's possible. I know it's been me that in, even in the taking of communion, as I've actually taken it, I've not really, you know, received it. Just like Jack and that gift in his closet, right? He maybe comes to the table and he sees the elements and he takes the, you know, and we just go on about our, our day. But we want to not only just take the elements, but we want to receive them, to open this gift, to, to partake in Jesus. Amen. We don't want to just go through the motions. So the author continues, Matthew. I'll start calling him Matthew. Then he took a cup, and when he had given thanks, he gave it to them, saying, Drink from it, all of you. This is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. This is my blood of the covenant. In some early manuscripts, actually in the the depiction of this story in the Gospel of Luke, it's called the, uh, the blood of the new covenant. And the, the, the Jews would have been waiting for this promised new covenant. Mm-hmm. They, they had been, they knew about covenants. And, you know, think about, you know, promises or, or commitments that the, the Lord ha, has made with his people. And in, in every uh, covenant, it was ratified or it was established with blood. We see that in the, the Noah covenant and the covenant with Moses and with you know, the covenant of David. There's always the spilling of blood. Mm-hmm. And this 
idea this, that the blood, that Jesus' blood is going to be poured out for the many, it just, uh, it's this um, uh, sacrificial language. They would have immediately been thinking of you know, these pictures uh, of Moses when he's establishing the, the Mosaic Covenant and he's there, he builds an altar in, in Exodus 24 and they take some bulls and goats and they slaughter them. They put a bunch of the blood in bowls and they sprinkle the rest of the blood on the altar and on the people. And it was this symbol of cleansing. It was this symbol of purification. Yep. Right? And, and so there is always this picture of blood. And so now these, the disciples are again wrestling with this idea that Jesus is going to be this lamb, that Jesus is going to be this sacrifice, that he is going to die. And that is mind-blowing. How could that be? You're the Messiah. Is the Messiah supposed to die? Is that how this is supposed to go? But in order to inaugurate the new covenant... We see in Isaiah and Ezekiel and in Jeremiah, thinking of Jeremiah 31, he talks about this new covenant. Um, Let me just turn there real quick. Jeremiah. Jeremiah 31. 31, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the people of Israel and with the people of Judah. Hundreds of years before Jesus, hundreds of years before this Last Supper that Jesus is sharing, the prophet talks about this new covenant. It will not be like the covenant I made with their ancestors when I took them by the hand to lead them out of Egypt because they broke my covenant, though I was a husband to them, declares the Lord. This is the covenant I will make with the people of Israel after that time, declares the Lord. I will put my law in their minds. I will write it on their hearts. I will be their God, and they will be my people. No longer will they teach their neighbor or say to one another, Know the Lord, because they will all know me, from the least of them to the greatest. For I will forgive their wickedness, and I will remember their sins no more. This is the new covenant. We are going to be forgiven of our sins. We're going to come into a new relationship with God, something that is bigger and better than any of the the old covenants. It's a fulfillment of what these other covenants foreshadowed or promised. And just as all those other covenants had to be established by the shedding of blood of bulls and goats, there's no difference here with the new covenant. Except this time, it's not going to be the blood of a bull. It's going to be the blood of Jesus Christ, the very Son of God, who is willing to come to become incarnate for this very purpose. And so why? Why does he have to pour out his blood. Why is this sacrifice being happened? What is going to happen in this new covenant? Right? It's very clear. And I think there's you know, a lot of stuff happened at, at, on the cross. You know, and I think we will never fully understand all the, the ramifications of Jesus dying on the cross. But we know for certain, because of passages like this, that one thing is very clear, that he died for us. Mm-hmm. He died to, to bring forgiveness of sins. Because humanity, as we had already talked about, it was shaking their fists. They had rejected God. They had not yielded to him like we talked about last week. They'd said, I want to do it my way.
But Jesus came to to bear the, the penalty of that sin that we inherited from Adam and Eve that is passed down to all humanity. We are forgiven of the the sins that we partake of from the day we're born. But the blood of Jesus brings forgiveness. And so he died to, to forgive us. And the question, again, is will we receive that gift? Will we pick it up? And, and, and play the, the tune of forgiveness, right? Just like I had to pick up and, and play this guitar to receive it. Mm-hmm. Or are we just going to go, oh yeah, that's right, Jesus forgave me of my sins, I'm going to leave that in the closet because I want to do things my way. Mm-hmm. I'll unwrap it later. Mm-hmm. And the last thing I want to look at is in verse 29 where Matthew says, I tell you, I will not drink from this fruit of the vine from now on until that day when I drink it new with you in my Father's kingdom. I almost spilled this. (laughs) And and when I read this, I was like, what is Jesus talking about? Like, this didn't seem very clear to me. And and I just kept reading it and and reading it and trying to study and figure out what is he talking about and and what I think I discovered here and... and, uh, clarified that with some solid commentaries and talking to my friend Jimmy, is that this is this beautiful, hopeful promise, yeah. right? That this, there is an eternal hopefulness in what Jesus is doing. Jesus is in this somber occasion saying, I am going to die. My blood is going to be spilled. This is the end. But this passage or this verse is this promise that Jesus is saying, hey, guess what? This death isn't going to be the end. That's right. It is going, I am not going to drink this wine until right, I'm with you. I'm drinking with you in the Father's kingdom. This this picture of this you know, feast, this table in, in, the, in the kingdom of, of God where all the, the believers were, we can gather around and we can be reunited with Jesus again and we can drink and we can celebrate. This supper that is kind of somber and and reverent because it's leading right up to Jesus' death causes us to remember, to to think, and look forward to that celebration that we have when Jesus returns and we are fully restored. And we can celebrate in the new heavens, in the new earth, what Jesus has done. We can live for eternity, adopted in the fullness of our sonship and our daughtership. That is what this verse is telling us. Jesus is looking forward. There's more to come. This death just paves the way for the good things to come. Mm -hmm. And the same thing we can remember when when we read this passage that, yes, when we take the the bread and we drink the the wine or the, the grape juice, we are remembering our own death to self that we laid down our rights. We said, Jesus, I I repent for just wanting my way. Now I say, not my will, but your will be done. I'm dying to myself. Mm -hmm. But we can hold on to hope that this death of self is going to lead to life, is going to, to lead to this incredible celebration in the heavens with Jesus when we drink the new wine with him. And so communion is both a remembrance of what Jesus did and it is a looking forward to Jesus' return and our being reunited with him. 
It is both a symbolic act remembering uh, what Jesus did and our allegiance with him, but it is also, uh, I believe, a spiritual meal that really nourishes us. It, it imparts grace in some way when we take it in faith. It's both a personal participation with Jesus, receiving his forgiveness of sins, but it's also a communal celebration that we are in this together. Yes. So the question again, will you receive Jesus today? His body was broken on the cross. His blood was spilled for the forgiveness of your sins. Will you receive him today, just as I took up my guitar and played it? I'm not going to leave it in the closet.